And have you guys noticed how every Sunday it's always either snowing, icing, or it's brutally cold? I feel like every morning I wake up, I don't know what to expect, but I know that it's not going to be comfortable. Um, speaking of which, we've got some awesome volunteers uh, in, our, in our church, and they wake up early and they come here and help set up. So I'm really thankful for our worship team, for Adam, who uh, has been running sound for us this morning. I'm thankful for these people who, who serve our church by waking up early, by creating a, an environment for us to worship Jesus in and, and receive the preaching of the word and to fellowship in. So I'm really thankful for these people. This morning, we're going to be coming close to ending our series in First Peter. We are on week 9 of 10 so this has been a, a fun journey. It's been one of my favorite books of the Bible, and even going through this together with you guys has made me love this, this particular book of the Bible and even more. This morning, we're going to be looking particularly at chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. So if you've got a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, uh, turn it on to there or turn in the pages of your Bible to 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5. We're going to be picking up off of where Peter left off. So these last two chunks of scripture that we have looked at as a church have been in regards to suffering. How do you suffer? How are Christians called to suffer? Are they, are they to just take it? Or is there something active that they can do in the midst of their suffering? Well, Peter has said, arm yourselves for suffering. Suffer well. Don't be surprised when suffering comes because evil and sin exist in this world. And we are called to, as Christ has, to bear this suffering and to suffer to the glory of God. So the verses that we're going to read this morning, these five verses, are going to be on the heels of those two texts on suffering. Peter wants the church to know some particular things. He's going to be addressing two audiences, and really even three audiences in these five verses. He's going to be addressing the elders or pastors of these local churches that are found in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And he's also going to be direct, uh, directing some information and some encouragements to the members of these local churches. So if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read the word of God together? 1 Peter 5, 1-5. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of God, brothers and sisters. It is true and it is good. You may be seated. Father, as we have gathered together to receive your word, would your spirit work mightily in our hearts and in our minds? Would we see that your word was not just true 2,000 years ago, but that it is still potent, that it is still beneficial, that it is still good, that it still informs us how we are to conduct ourselves before you and before one another. So help us this morning, Father. If you are not at work in us, then we are sitting here, we're going to be sitting and standing here listening to some people move their mouths and hearing some people speak some words. So would your spirit come and administer your word in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. A simple set of Google searches with a combination of words, pastor fired or pastor scandal or domineering pastor, will provide you with numerous results. And even without searching these, I can think of about seven or eight pastors 
in my lifetime that are in modern day that have been fired or have been kicked out of their churches. These are, these are pastors that some of them I, I looked up to and I learned from greatly, that I admired, that I wanted to become like, that I wanted to preach like, that I wanted to lead like. And these, these pastors were primarily fired for a few reasons. Uh, one of the reasons some of these pastors had been fired is because they had committed adultery or had improper relationships. Some of these pastors were fired because they mishandled the financial resources of their local churches. And some of these pastors were, were fired because they were spiritually abusive or domineering, that they were unkind to the staff that worked with them, that, that they were spiritually abused members of their local church. Sadly, these stories are not uncommon. Sadly, it's not that hard to find pastors who fall short of Peter's, command, Peter's exhortation to the elders in the dispersion. And it's not just elders who are responsible for sin in the local church. You can, I, I, I didn't even search this because there would have been even more stories, but members of local churches, you and I, people like us, who caused great scandals in local churches, right? Everybody's got that, well, at least me growing up in Southern Baptist churches, we had the joke of members in the church fighting over what color carpet was going to go into the sanctuary and churches splitting over dumb things like what color carpet was going to go in the sanctuary, right? Sin is not just the response, does not just come from evil pastors, but it comes from evil and wicked church members. Both of these sins, both of evil leadership and evil membership, they are equally wicked before God. This is not the way that God has designed his local church to be led or to be experienced or to be used. God has given his local church to his people for their joy and for their flourishing. So we're gonna see these these five verses here this morning uh, that Peter is talking to the elders, that he's talking to members of local churches. This, this sermon is going to be a little bit different for me uh, because I, I feel like we need to do a little bit more uh, study together this morning. This, this text is not a narrative. This text is very direct, right? The, and the, even the last several texts from First Peter have been targeted to specific audiences. And so this morning, our, our, our scope is pretty narrow as to what we can do with this passage Another reason uh, that we should pay careful attention to this text is because we are a church that has a team of elders. So I'll give you a little bit of, of the, the leadership structure of Frontier Church. We are an elder-led and congregationally sensitive church. And we use that, that wording, that definition very particularly because we, we see that that is administered here in 1 Peter 5. We are an elder-led church and we are congregationally sensitive. We, we get our inspiration for that particular type of church governance or polity or church leadership, whatever word you want to use, because of texts like this in the New Testament. Because we're gonna, we see this word elder appear a couple of times in our passage. So before we look at that, we've got to figure out what is an elder, right? What is an elder? We hear that word used. We see it in the New Testament. We, we read books that are written about elder. We see churches that have on their website their elders listed. What is an elder? Is an elder just a, is an old guy? Is, it a wise, is an elder a wise guy? Is an elder a theologically nerdy guy? We, we in America, use elder in a, in a variety of, of ways, but it's important for us to be people, people who are of the scripture, people who are devoted to the teachings of the Bible. We've got to get our definitions from the Bible on the words that we read in the Bible. Makes sense, right? If we are people of the scriptures, we should define things by the scriptures. So we're going to look at three texts you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but I'm going to read these three passages to help us understand 
what an elder is and what an elder does. Because Peter here talks about what an elder does, but he doesn't really define what, who an elder is. And that's because it would have been assumed that these churches knew what elders did and who they are. So the first text we're going to look at is Titus. Titus 1, 5 through 9. We see qualifications and a function of an elder. It says, This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We see the word overseer here. There, there's, there's a few different words used to describe elders or pastors in the New Testament. We see the word overseer. We see the word elder. And we see the word pastor. These all, all three of these words are talking about the same thing. So we see in this Titus text that the word overseer is used. It's the same word that Peter talks about when he says elder. The second text we'll look at, 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Again, we see more definitions. Some of them are the same from that Titus passage, because Paul is writing these two letters, one to Titus and one to Timothy. He is saying... Elders live a particular way. They're not just, they're not better. God doesn't look at these elders and say, I really like these guys. I should give them a job to do. Elders are, are qualified, have a certain set of qualifications that they must meet, and they are called. The third text we're going to look at is in Acts 14, verses 19 through 23. We're going to see here that, um, just as we did in the Timothy text, that an el- elder is an office. It's not just an old guy. It's not just a smart guy. It's not a nerdy theological guy. It's not a morally good guy. But the, elder, the eldership is an office that a man must be qualified for and called into. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, this, this is awesome, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. So they threw a bunch of rocks at Paul, thought he was dead. And then what happens? But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on that day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders from them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So those are three passages that we see elders or overseers or pastors talked about in the New Testament. 
We see they, are, they must be qualified, and we see that they must be called, and that they are entering into an office in the local church. And they've not just been, they don't just have to do the right things and say the right things and act the right way, but they must be called. They must meet the standard that God sets forth in his scriptures. So now that we've defined what an elder is, who Peter is talking to, who he's addressing right now, we're going to look at what an elder does. What is an elder called to do? The primary calling of an elder is to shepherd the flock of God among them. Verses 2 and 3 say this, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So the primary calling of the elder, the pastor, is to shepherd the flock of God among them. We see here that elders are not executives. Elders do not sit on a board and make decisions. Elders are intimately involved in the life of the local church. They're not just some guys who have climbed the ladder of the hierarchy of church leadership and governance and then get to kick their feet up on a footstool and decide what the church is going to do and decide who they're going to let into the church and decide who they are going to allow to do certain things. Elders, pastors, overseers are shepherds. They are among the flock. And it's not their flock. Whose flock is it? It's the flock of God. Elders, the the flocks that they are among, do not belong to them. They belong to God. The flock of God, the church of God, is not something that an elder or a pastor or an overseer owns. Frontier Church does not belong to Cole. Frontier Church does not belong to me. Frontier Church does not belong to the pastoral team in Frontier Church. Frontier Church belongs to the Lord. And we must be reminded of this. Right? It's easy for me to be tempted to think that if I do these things, then frontier, this will happen in Frontier Church. If I could just have more control over my community group, then my community group would be better. That's wrong. It's God's church. Therefore, I have to shepherd and lead in a particular way. Right? Elders and pastors and overseers must be reminded of whose sheep they are entrusted with to shepherd. Right? Because if, if an elder believes, if a pastor believes that the sheep belong to him, he's going to shepherd them in a way that he sees as right, in a way that he sees as fitting for the time. So Peter wants the elders to know that while they are suffering, while, their church is, while the church is suffering, that this flock belongs to God. And God's flock need to be shepherded in a particular way. I love that he uses that word shepherd, right? Because we see all throughout the script, we see God being referred to as a shepherd. We see Jesus being referred to as a shepherd. So elders and pastors in local churches are called to tend to the flock of God. That word shepherding is a very intimate word. Shepherds don't just sit in a chair and watch the sheep go about and say, hey, um, I hope these sheep make it to some green grass that's nourishing. I hope these sheep don't eat the grass all the way down to the roots and then start eating the dirt. Shepherds don't say, man, I hope this sheep does not fall off a cliff over here and fall into a river and drown. No, elders, shepherds are walking with the sheep. They're guiding them. They're keeping them from falling off of things. They're keeping them from eating poisonous things. They're keeping them from drowning. They're pointing them to still, soft water where they can lie down and sleep and rest. Elders, so, too, are to be intimately involved in the sheep that they have been called to shepherd. Pastors are not called to be unacquainted with their people. They're not to be 
sitting in a vacuum of church life. They are to be involved and engaged in church life. That's why in a, as a process for someone to become an elder in our church, for a man to become an elder in our church, he can't just be a guy who everybody likes but is not ever doing anything in the church. One of the requirements for an elder is for a, a candidate to be actively involved in the life of the local church, be involved in a community group, be involved in a fighter group, to be involved in Sunday gatherings. That elders don't, that a potential elder does not just show up to do the thing that he's been asked to do, but that he is always engaged with the local church. Because if he's not already, how do we think that an elder, a potential elder, will magically become intimately involved in the local church if he's not already doing that? Well, those qualifications that we see from those three texts that we looked at earlier, they're, they're relational things. Does he take care of his kids? Does he love and is he... Is he faithful to his wife? Is he hospitable? Right? These words are intimate. They're not words that we have to wonder what they mean. Being hospitable means what it means. It means to be hospitable. It means to have an open home. Shepherds, elders, pastors are to be among their flock. Peter says, shepherd the flock that's among you, not below you, not kind of around you somewhere, not an ethereal flock, but the flock that is among you. Shepherd them. And he gives some detailed instructions on how to shepherd the flock of God. He says, not under compulsion. Elders, don't shepherd God's flock out of, just out of, a, out of a duty or as a job or because you are in a particular role. Shepherd them willingly as God would have you. Take initiative, elders, in shepherding the flock of God among you. Volunteer to shepherd the flock of God among you because this is what God has intended. God does not passively shepherd his people. He actively shepherds them. And don't, elders, shepherd the flock of God among you for shameful gain. This isn't for a financial reward. It's not so you can get a greater Twitter following. It's not so that you can get a book deal or some speaking engagements at a conference. You are to shepherd them eagerly, joyfully, heartily, gladly. Don't just shepherd because you've been told to do it. Shepherd because there's great joy and great reward in shepherding. And don't shepherd in a domineering way. Don't be abusive, elders, when you shepherd the flock of God. Don't think that it's your way or the highway. Don't take authority that isn't yours because these sheep belong to God. If you go into God's pasture and start kicking his sheep, he's not going to take that kindly. But be examples to the flock, elders. This word examples means to pattern. So Peter's saying elders... Set patterns for Christian living. Most of those qualifications for elders, everyone ought to aspire to. So it makes sense that if God is going to call someone to lead in a local church, that they exhibit pattern. They show patterns. They show examples of what it looks like to be faithful in marriage. That they set patterns to show what it looks like to be hospitable. That they set patterns to show what it looks like to parent in a godly way. That they're thought well of by the people that they work with that they're thought well of by their neighbors. These elders are not getting more gold stars in God's eyes based on their personal holiness. God, in establishing the, the office of eldership, is saying, I want men here who exhibit what it looks like to live the Christian life. I don't want men in here who, have, who are unfaithful to their wives. I want men in here who are faithful to their wives so that younger men know how to be faithful to their wives. Because because elders are called to proclaim the word of God. So if an elder is living counterintuitively to the word of God, then there, you see the disconnect there. God wants his elders to shepherd in a particular way. 
And I love how Peter, um, he addresses, identifies himself as a fellow elder in verse 1. And I think he does this, not to, he's not asserting dominance here, but he's saying, hey, I, I'm in the trenches with you, elders. I'm not unacquainted with the work that you're doing. I'm not unacquainted with the suffering that you're going through as you are shepherding the flock of God that is among you who is suffering. I'm, I know where you're at. I know the temptations. And in verse 4, he gives them another encouragement. So he just says, this is how you are to shepherd God's flock. And you are to shepherd God's flock because this is the reward that awaits you. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Elders, your, your reward is not in the money that you get. Elders, your reward is not in the influence that you have in your local churches. Elders, your reward is to come. Your reward comes from Jesus. Your reward is Jesus. He is going to give you a reward that does not fade, that cannot be taken away. So don't shepherd in a way that seeks a reward that is earthly in this life. Don't shepherd for shameful gain. Shepherd because if you were faithful in leading God's people, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Our day and age is one where it's, it's uh, in vogue to be a particular kind of pastor, to wear certain things so that you'll, your brand is represented well, to go and speak at particular conferences so you can go to speak at more conferences. It's in vogue to be a celebrity pastor. And there's nothing wrong with speaking at conferences. Not that I'm going to get asked to speak at a conference anytime soon or ever. Um, but there's nothing wrong with writing books. There's nothing wrong with writing blogs. But there is a temptation, though, to find your identity in writing those blogs, in writing those books, and speaking at those conferences. How, how, do we, how do pastors get to a point where they plant a church and 20 years later are fired by the church that they planted and started? How does that happen? Well, the temptation to shepherd for shameful gain, the temptation to shepherd in a domineering way is not one that is to be taken lightly. It's not one that is probably ever going to go away no matter if your church is 10 or your church is 10,000. Size of, of the church does not matter in wanting to shepherd for shameful gain. Peter wants these elders to be reminded that the reward is in heaven, that the reward is Jesus, the chief shepherd, that there is a shepherd over the shepherd, that Jesus is identified as the chief shepherd in this word. He's encouraging these elders to be reminded that Jesus has gone before them and he has done the work and he is doing the work of shepherding the flock of God, and that if they are faithful, if they persevere, if they shepherd in the way that they have been commanded and encouraged, they will receive an unfading crown of glory. Verse 5, we're going to look at now. So Peter is going to switch audiences. He's been talking to elders, and now he's going to talk to uh, another audience here. Now, before we get into this text, you should know that there are three interpretations of who Peter is talking to. Uh, the ESV translates it as younger. So I'll read it. Verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. There are three in interpretations of who that younger is that Peter is addressing. Now, the, the Greek word that's used for younger is a masculine word. It means younger men. So most about 60% of the translations translate verse 5 as likewise, younger men be subject to the elders. So I'm going to give you three interpretations of what people, uh, of what commenters say that uh, 
who, say who Peter is addressing here. So these are not my words. These are summaries of these three interpretations. The first interpretation of who the younger men are, who the younger people are that Peter's addressing, uh, some will say, is that Peter is addressing members of local churches and that they are to submit as elders were normally, in this time, older men in the congregation. Younger here means lesser in authority or lesser in spiritual maturity than the elders. So that's one interpretation. That younger here is, is a word that's used to communicate lesser authority. The second view is that this is referring to deacons. Deacons were younger men who held a lesser office and needed to submit to the elders because young men who have influence tend to be opinionated, desirous of leadership and influence. Therefore, they need to be reminded to submit to the leadership of the elders. So in in several places in Acts, younger men are called into a situation to do something. These younger men were identified as deacons, right? Ananias and Sapphira sin and lie to God and, and sin against the church. God strikes them down, and younger men are called in to carry their bodies out. So this interpretation would say that younger men, here is referring to deacons, or younger men who had a lesser office in the local church. And a third interpretation of this text is that uh, the word elder here doesn't even mean office. It just means older members of the local church, and that those who are younger are to submit to those who are older. So those are three interpretations. Most commenters, commentators will say, hey, this are, these are the interpretations, and here's the one that uh, I lean toward the most, which means I don't really know who he's talking to here. Um, but I want to encourage you that the, the, the thread that goes through all three of these interpretations is, is one of submission. All throughout Peter, we see that it's good to submit, that it's good to have authority above you and over you, that it, it's good to submit to someone's leadership, whether that be um, no, acknowledging that the, God has established a government over you and you're to pray for them, you're to honor and you're to respect and you're to be a good citizen who does good in the community. Or if, or if you are a husband, that you're to submit to God and that if you're a wife, you're to submit to your husband and you're both to submit to, to the Lord together. Or if you're a slave, that you're to submit to the one who rules over you in, in a way that glorifies God. <coughs> the, the theme throughout Peter is one of honor and submission. So in each of these three interpretations, whichever one that you want to go with, whichever one you want to roll with here, um, the theme is that submission is good. That God has designed his church to be led. God has designed his church to have elders and that submitting to elders is a good thing. It's for the flourishing because elders aren't the final authority, but the elders submit to the chief shepherd. The elders submit to God because God is the one who's installed them and that God is the one who is calling them to lead their flock, to lead his flock. So whichever interpretation you want to go with, and honestly, I, I lean more towards that this is referring to deacons. That's what I lean towards the most. Check in on me in a few months and I might have changed my mind on that. But those are the three interpretations. The application, whichever interpretation you go with, changes the application of this text. And so that's why I think it's important to see that submission is good and that submission is a theme throughout Peter's letter because, because Peter is about to build off of that. Right? He's going to build off of that theme of humility and he's going to address all. So the second part of verse 5 says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So he has talked to the elders, then he talks to these younger men, whoever uh, that might be, and then he says, clothe yourselves, all of you. That word all means all, means elders. 
It means deacons. It means younger members. It means older members. It means the entire local church. You are to clothe yourselves, all of you. So now the whole church is being addressed here. The whole church is, is, is being given an exhortation. The whole church is being told something to do. And I think this is important for us. We've got to see, Frontier Church, that this is all of us, that we've been called to do this, that we have been called to clothe ourselves with humility. Now remember that this Peter who's, who wrote this letter was the same Peter that walked with Jesus. The same Peter was the Peter who saw Jesus transfigured. This is the same Peter who denied Christ. This is the same Peter who saw Christ die. This is the same Peter who, who saw Christ resurrected. This was the same Peter who was restored to ministry and was commissioned by Jesus to make disciples. Jesus was known by Peter. Peter walked with Jesus. And so that's important for us to be reminded of, right? Because Peter's wording of clothe yourselves with humility meant to put on a slave's apron. When he says clothe yourselves with humility, it doesn't mean like, hey, dress down, don't wear some flashy Gucci clothes, uh, just wear some really toned down khakis and a polo shirt. He, he's saying clothe yourselves with humility, put on the slave's apron. Where do you think he got that word picture from? Where, where do you think he, he came up with this concept of a slave's apron? Well, we know that, that Peter had his feet washed by Jesus. In John 13, Jesus sits down with his disciples for the Passover feast, and there was no slave to wash the feet of the disciples and of Jesus. The disciples are looking around, you're like, oh, I wonder if the slave's gonna come in here and take care of our feet. Nothing happens, and so Jesus gets up, and he takes off his outer garment, and he puts on a towel. He puts on the slave's apron and washes the, defeat, the feet of his disciples. So Peter's saying, church, I saw Jesus put on the slave's apron. You too, you also are to put on the slave's apron. There's no doubt in my mind that while Peter was writing these, pinning these words down and giving the church these encouragements, that he is seeing Jesus in his mind putting on that apron and washing his feet. Jesus was the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's bending down and washing the, defeat, the feet of his disciples. Peter is, I'm sure, remembering the feeling of Jesus lowering himself to tend to Peter's needs, washing the sand and the filth and the dirt off of his smelly feet. Jesus stood out to Peter in this moment because Peter says, hey, I'll, if this is a good thing, if this is a good sign, if this is leading to something good, then wash my whole body. Take care of all of me, Jesus. This stood out to Peter and it stuck with him. And so he is drawing this word picture here for the, the church. Because Peter knew that the trajectory, the, early, the earthly trajectory of, of Jesus' ministry while he was alive on earth and walking with him was, was down. It was down. The trajectory of Jesus' ministry was down. He came down to earth and took on flesh. He came down to earth and preached good news to hardened hearts. He came down to earth and healed the sick. He came down to earth and cleaned the unclean. He came down to earth and raised the dead. He came down to earth and washed his disciples' feet. He came down to earth and was beaten down by the religious leaders and Roman soldiers. He came down to earth and was crucified. He came down to earth and was put in a tomb. He came down to earth and was raised to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus was marked by humility. Jesus didn't wear a jewel-encrusted crown while he was on earth. He wore the slave's apron. He did the dirty work. He did the work that people didn't want to do. He did the work that people couldn't do. 
Peter is reminding the church to put on the slave's apron to serve one another, especially in their time of needing of need, and especially in their time of suffering. We have been called to do this in this life, that which we don't want to always do. So church, our example of putting on humility, our example of putting on the slave's apron is Jesus here. And we are commanded to wear this garment, the slave's apron, as we interact with one another. It's really easy to be puffed up with pride these days. You put a picture out there on Instagram and you put out your opinion on something and people interact with that. And, they, and then you feel good about yourself and you, you get the sense of entitlement. It's really easy for us, to, if we have any ounce of influence, to be puffed up with pride and to see ourselves as a, above things. Peter is addressing the whole church here, not just the members. This isn't just something that elders get to beat over the heads of the members of local churches. This is something that elders also participate in. Elders are called to also put on this garment of the slave to serve one another because this is what Jesus has done. Jesus came to earth to live a perfect life, to be humble. Jesus was marked with humility. He was humble in the sight of men and he, was, and he humbled himself to his father's will and came to earth and lived this perfect life and died this sacrificial death and was raised again and now rules and reigns over creation. Will you become tired by the posture of humility? Most likely. Will you get hurt by other members or elders of this church by being humble? Probably. But is it worth it? Is it worth the hurt? Is it worth the disappointment? Is it worth the exhaustion? Is it worth the frustration? Yes, it absolutely is. In posturing ourselves this way, we are living as Jesus would. And showing humility, we are imaging Christ to one another. The one who was deserving of his feet being washed, but he washed his disciples' feet. The one who is worthy of all in, and who is worthy of infinite praise and adoration and respect. But he came to earth and lived among common men and walked among them and touched the filthy of the society and cleaned the unclean and, and put up with people mocking him and, and misunderstanding him. Jesus came to earth in humility so that he could be led like a lamb to the slaughter so that his blood would be poured out over God's people, cleansing them from all unrighteousness, securing their eternal salvation. And why are we to clothe ourselves in humility? Why are, why are we to put on the slave's apron? Why are we to do this? Is it because we get some good stuff here and now? Is it because this is just a good idea? What well, we do this because of what the Bible says. Peter quotes a proverb here. He says, because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So God stiff arms the proud. So if, if you are being prideful, God is stiff arming you. He has dressed himself for war against you if you are marked by pride. But if you are humble, but if you show humility, but if you are known for wearing the slave's apron just as Jesus would, God will give you grace. He is against the proud and the arrogant, and he is for, and he blesses, and he gifts those who are humble. Because humility can only truly come from Jesus and his applied work on the cross. Humility can only come from the Spirit working in us. We are prone to pride. That's why we need to be reminded to put off pride and to put on humility. This is why the entire church, whether you are a man, a woman, a child, a senior citizen, an elder, a community group leader, a fighter group leader, a team leader, or a team volunteer, you are to clothe yourself with humility. The church is to be marked by humility because Jesus was marked by humility.
He didn't come down to earth and work his own plan out. In harmony and in submission to God the Father, he laid himself down. He did not come down here and try to come up with his own, his own plans. Before Jesus was led to the cross, he prayed and asked God, God, if there's any other way, would you make a way? If, if there's any way that I don't have to experience all of your wrath poured out on me, let's go with that. But if not, it's about your will, not my will, Father. So let your will be done. This is how we are to in interact with God. Because if we po pro properly understand that God is our ultimate authority, that God is our, that Jesus is our chief shepherd, that God's spirit dwells in us and leads us, then we are to submit to that and we will be humble. We will have a, a humble posture of our hearts. So just as elders are to be reminded that they have a chief shepherd, church, you are to be reminded that Jesus is also your chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is not just above the elders, but the chief shepherd, shepherd is above all of the church, that we have one who is perfectly capable of leading and loving and caring for God's people. And the pastoral team at Frontier Church, these five men who pray for you and, and think of you often and strategize and look at the budget and make decisions, make these decisions because we understand that Jesus is the chief shepherd that Frontier Church does not belong to the pastoral team of Frontier Church. This is why when members suffer, we weep. This is why we agonize over difficult questions and decisions. This is why we pray for our church. This is why whenever difficulty or disunity breaks out in our church, we want to be faithful in shepherding the flock of Frontier Church because it's not our flock, because we understand that it's God's flock. And we understand that the flock of God is not belonging to one particular member of the pastoral team or just the staff members of the pastoral team. We know that the church belongs to Jesus. Therefore, we want to shepherd the church in the, in the right way. We want to be as Jesus in the way that he shepherds and loves and cares for the church. So Frontier Church, let us be known for clothing ourselves with humility. Let us be known by our radical submission to Jesus and to the, the pastors of this church, because this is countercultural. It's a really cool time in history to make fun of authority, to rebel against authority, to make your, make your disappointment or disapproval of authority known to the world. Our radical submission to the chief shepherd is countercultural, and it paints a picture that we have been changed and we have been given new hearts in, with which we can posture humbly. Let's pray.